Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. It's so good to have you here for another episode of In Doubt. I'm Erica, and I'm really looking forward to today's episode. But first, you may have noticed that I'm not Courtney. Courtney has moved on from In Doubt, and we look forward to everything God has planned for her in the days ahead. But we are already missing having her around. Even with this change, you can still expect the same content from In Doubt. On today's episode, we're joined by Iona Snare, who is the Associate Director of a ministry called Life Teams. A large part of her work involves helping people through the challenges related to mental health. And in today's age of COVID-19, where struggles with mental health are becoming more and more prevalent, this is a topic that must be addressed. Isaac and Iona talk about what mental health is and how to know if you or someone you love is struggling with their mental health, and also give practical advice on how to improve your overall mental health. We're so excited you're joining us for this important episode. So here's the conversation between Isaac and Iona. Well, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Isaac Degno, one of the hosts here. And with me on the show today is Iona Snare. Her and her husband run a ministry called Life Teams, which we're going to hear more about in just a moment. Thanks for being here, Iona. Thank you, Isaac. It's good to be here. Yeah, so why don't you just first... Just walk us through a little bit of your of your life. Uh, you can take some time to do that. Just tell us who you are, um, your your faith journey a little bit, and then also uh, then you maybe you can kind of at the end of that sort of morph into what Life Teams is all about. That'd be great. Okay. Well, um, I was one of those people who came to know Jesus at a really young age while I was living uh, with my mom and dad at the age of four. And my mom talked to me about Jesus and my heart opened up to him. And uh, I I guess I could start my story with that mostly because that has been such a, a huge, huge part of who I have become and the directions I've gone with my life. Um, I've spent my whole adult life actually working with vulnerable teenagers, basically coming alongside of young people who are on the margins, who are street involved, uh, who are in foster care, who are in trouble with the, the law, and, uh, and walking with them and, and walking them towards Jesus. I am married, and my husband and I have been married for, oh, I always forget, I think it's 28 years now, something like that. <laughs> and uh, we live in Abbotsford, BC. We have two grown sons and a dog. And uh, they live with us. I shouldn't probably put the sons and the dog in the same category. <laughs> but you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> and uh, we, um, yeah, my husband and I have been in um, working together side by side for the last almost 20 years, running a ministry called Life Teams. And uh, Life Teams is something that uh, we've been operating. Uh, we started it uh, 19 years ago, almost 20 years ago, with Youth for Christ, Youth Unlimited. And uh, what it is, is it's kind of a really unusual college-credited year um, of education, but it's um, you know, unusual because it's a team of 10 people who are living in community, and they're learning about walking alongside vulnerable teenagers with courageous compassion. It's about stepping into the lives of people who are on the margins, 
and finding Jesus there waiting and discovering a lot about yourself in the process. So for someone that's part of Life Teams, it's a year, it's a year long, you said? Yeah. So what does that look like for them throughout, throughout the days? Like what are they doing for the whole year um, living together? Yeah, it's kind of a, um, there's a real a flow of the weeks, but yet there's so many unusual things that happen too. So on a normal week, <laughs> um, they would be on Tuesdays and Thursdays in the classroom taking college courses, but in a very experience-based way. On Wednesdays and Fridays, they're matched up with a youth work placement at a drop-in center or maybe an alternative program at a high school, maybe a teen mums program, um, uh, maybe on the downtown east side of Vancouver, working with kids who are street involved. And so they're working with veteran youth workers those two days of the week, going back every week to the same young people so they can build relationships and they can learn about walking alongside of, of people with respect and with compassion and, and with, with good skills at the same time. And then Mondays, um, one of the things that happens on Mondays, it's called our adventure and outreach day. Uh, There's a lot of kind of hiking, rock climbing, repelling, caving, that sort of adventure stuff so that we can stretch the bounds of, of our sense of safety and build community. But there's also a ton of outreach experiences that day too, where the students, uh, they go and, and they find out about different organizations that are doing a lot for people on the margins. So that's a really small picture, but that's what a week looks like. And then woven in there's all sorts of different uh, really kind of interesting and creative experiences so that we can learn through doing instead of just through hearing. And uh, in the middle of all of that, there's tons of mentorship. And, uh, and then that community living piece, you know, we find out who we are when we're living with people and we find out we're not as wonderful as we thought we were. <laughs> we're not as kind as we thought we were <laughs> when we're waking up every morning to somebody else's dirty dishes and that sort of thing. So the team learns uh, a lot about themselves, um, a ton about God and a lot about loving well. That sounds awesome. And, and I like the, I like the fact that Mondays are a, I mean, when you explained the Monday portion, I was like, I I would love that. And I mean, maybe some people don't want to get up early on a Monday and go hiking or something like that. But I just feel like doing something really fun on a Monday kind of helps kind of attack that Monday blues kind of, you know, thing. So I I appreciate that. I think that's a great, it's a great way. And yeah, you're right about the community living piece. We do find out a lot about uh, who we are. And, and I I just think that's a great, almost a, uh, a nonverbal and unconscious, uh, huge part of their learning you know, having to learn how to live together. So I think that's great. Right. Like Jesus talked so much about, um, about that, that together piece and, and the God story all through the Bible is this, this together thing. Even the fact that God and Jesus and the Holy spirit are a community, um, kind of invites us into this sense of what is this thing community? What is this? Why is it so important? And how does it shape us? And how does it make us into maybe the people that we are created to be, um, as we're living together and figuring that out together? Absolutely. And I think just for, for most people, I think they would know this too, that, you know, it's, it's hard to live together, you know, and I'm sure that any of your students and maybe you and your husband too can say, yep, that's hard. But I think the payoff in the long run is, is way better, you know, than, than oftentimes as well. That's great. Well, Iona, we're going to spend some time now thinking about mental health as it relates specifically to uh, these uncertain days that we are in with obviously COVID-19. And I'm sure by the time people are still hearing about this, people are still going to be experiencing at least the repercussions of COVID-19. So to begin with, though, before we jump into that specific thing, there there are, and I know you know this as well, so many different perceptions uh, of what mental health is. 
And I'm not sure if you and I want to try to come to a universal global agreement on what mental health is right now. But uh, I think it's important as you have worked with many different young adults uh, at your at life teams and just generally, how have you sort of formed and shaped your perception of mental health? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mental health is something that I think is talked about a lot, but not really understood completely. I think when we use the term mental health, we all have different pictures in our minds. But at its core, we have to recognize that mental health is something we all have, just like physical health. Um, sometimes it's doing well, and sometimes it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not a fixed point. Um, we move up and down between languishing and flourishing throughout our days. And uh, how we are doing with just walking through our days really is what our mental health is about. Um, Mental health is different than mental illness, and I think people often get that confused. Someone can have a diagnosed mental illness and still actually be living with good mental health. Our son has an anxiety disorder. He's suffered from this since he was 10. And right now, his mental health is fantastic. He's flourishing despite the fact that he has a mental illness. But I think I know I can name people who do not have any mental illness and they're actually languishing, they're suffering with their mental health. Their mental health is not very good and it's different than mental illness. So mental health, something we all have, something that we all walk with in our days and not a fixed point, something that can be good some days and and not so good others. Yeah, that's interesting to to understand it that way because I, I think oftentimes we we maybe dichotomize ourselves a little bit. We split ourselves into the heart and the mind. And and I mean, obviously Jesus, when he talks about the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So he kind of, you can see he separates some of those. But it's interesting because when you talk about how our mental health, our mind, how it can be kind of up and down a little bit, I, when you say that, I almost feel like the mind should be more objective and the heart should be the one that goes up and down. And we all know that our hearts go up and down. But what you're saying is that you know, uh, maybe maybe you can reflect on this, but maybe, you know, our mind also is not as objective as we think it might be, even though we have these facts and we know different things, And but it can go up and down as well. Or maybe it's co- more connected to the heart than we think. Yeah, I, I think that that's, um, that's a really important point. And I think what we need to realize is that mental health isn't just about the mind. Um, it does involve ways of thinking, but it also involves ways of feeling and ways of acting, ways of relating. All of that is part of our mental health. It's kind of this package deal that allows us to deal with life and its challenges from a place of strength and hope. Um, We need to notice um, when that dealing with life from strength and hope isn't happening, but it doesn't always happen just because of our thoughts. It does happen also because of our feelings, our heart, as you were saying. Um, it also happens because of our, our, our skills, perhaps, or lack thereof. Um, so someone can struggle with their mental health because they've never really acquired like a repertoire of coping skills or problem-solving skills. Or it could be our physiology, our body. It could be our genetics. It could be some things that were genetically handed down to us that actually cause us to struggle with our mental health. It could also be poor theology that causes us to struggle with our mental health. Basically, um, it's anything that makes it hard for us to manage the everyday stuff that life requires of us and to manage that from a position, like I said, of, of, of hope and a position of strength. 
Yeah, no, that's so good, Iona. Um, how do you check your mental health? So if if you say that mental health is is like your physical health, let's say, and we could go to the doctor and we could get a physical where they, you know, poke and prod us and they we, we say, okay, this is, you're doing well, or you're not doing well. And we can kind of know that a little bit objectively. How do you check your your mental health to see where you're where you're at. What are some things that we can do to, to figure that out? Yeah, and and much like our physical health, there are some really great um, red flags. You know, I, I will go to the doctor if I have something that isn't as it should be in my body, and it's there for a while. So if a bump shows up on my skin and it goes away tomorrow, I'm probably not going to rush to the doctor next week. <laughs> right. Uh, if I'm out in the sun all day and I wake up the next day and my skin is really red, <laughs> I'm probably going to say, wow, that's probably a situational thing. They call it sunburn. <laughs> and it's probably going to be gone in a day or two. So I'm not going to rush to the doctor next week. Mental health is much the same. Um, mental health, um, we can check our mental health when we start to see that we're not actually able to cope with that everyday stuff over a period of time, despite the fact that the situations are changing. And our, our mental health can be challenged by all sorts of things. It can be challenged by just simply not getting enough sleep. I know when I don't get enough sleep, I'm just not at my best. <laughs> it can be challenged by negative thinking patterns or you know, some of the things that I mentioned before. Um, it can be challenged by the situations of our lives, grief, isolation, <laughs> sad things that have happened, uh, loneliness, you know, all of those things. It can be challenged with mental illnesses such as anxiety and depression. All sorts of those things can challenge our mental health. But when we see our mental health is, is languishing, when, when we are actually um, struggling over a period of time and it's not going away, despite the fact that situations are changing, then we need to start saying, wow, I think that my mental health is actually in a place where it's starting to become an issue. All of us, like I said, are going to have those times of challenged mental health, but the, the continuum between languishing and flourishing, we should be moving on it. Yeah. And you know, that's a really, I've, I haven't really thought about the, uh, the analogy of, let's say a sunburn or whatever. That's really helpful. Um, what are some of the common symptoms of those struggling with their mental health? What would you say? I know we've already touched on maybe a few of them just kind of in passing, but for someone listening, what, how would they be able to know? Like, what are some things they can check on themselves? What symptoms would be for those that are struggling? Yeah. It's sort of like, um, you just get a sense that things are not as they should be because suddenly things that used to give you joy you just don't have the energy for them anymore. You don't have the drive towards them. You don't have the interest in them. Everyday things of life that life requires of us suddenly seem hugely difficult, like getting out of bed, you know, or um, for some people going to school. Suddenly it's just really hard to get out of the house. When we're not coping with the small challenges, that can be a sign that our thinking or our feeling or our processing is not in good health right now. You know, it's, uh, it's things like, you know, for some people, sleep difficulties. For some people, it's, um, you know, appetite changes. For some people, our bodies really tell us what's going on inside of them. So there are unexplained physical complaints like headaches often or stomach aches that seem to just not have a, a reason kind of thing. Um, for some people, it's a personality shift even. It's like they're usually very up and very positive and they're feeling very low and very negative about things. Those are all signs that, that our mental health is in a challenged place. And like I said, that may be something that we're just gonna move through, um, but some people can get stuck there. 
And when we get stuck in those places over time, it's just not changing. Those are some, some indications that it's time to perhaps check with a doctor and see if it's more than just a bad patch of mental health and if there's something more that needs to be done. Yeah, no, that that's helpful, Iona. So let's let's shift now to a little more specifically to our our day. Now we are living in obviously strange days, days that I don't think any of us would have expected even three months ago. We would have never expected what we are dealing with now. So could you identify then some realities in life right now because of all of this, because of COVID nineteen, that have a specific effect on mental health? What are some issues now that we're not and I mean, some of these are pretty obvious, but I think it's just good to, you know, make them aware and make them very obvious. Uh, but what are some things that, that are realities now that weren't realities three, four months ago and that have a special effect on people's mental health? Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's so many things. Um, I, I, I think that we're all finding that there are changes inside. We're maybe reacting to each other and to life differently. Some of our thought patterns have changed. If we stop and look at it, we'll realize that maybe our sleep patterns have changed a bit and and there's things going on inside that tell us that um, that all of the restrictions from COVID-19 are affecting our mental health. Um, but I'd say the two main things maybe, um, number one, um, changes that we're not in control of, that really affects our mental health, and isolation. Those are really two big disruptive factors that are realities right now. When I think about these, I think about the, the sort of the uncertainty that comes from our changing world. And uh, that brings anxious feelings. I mean, I remember a few years ago, they changed everything in the grocery store that I always go to. The aisles were moved around and I felt anxious grocery shopping because there was this change that I wasn't in charge of, that I didn't know how to predict what was going to happen when I turned the next aisle. And if I felt that way grocery shopping, we've got to imagine that, that this, this feeling, this, this baseline stress of waking up every day and not quite being sure what's going to happen the next day or that day, that's got to just put us in a, a position of mental health difficulty. Um, one of the things I was thinking about recently was that, you know, for people who already deal with anxiety regularly, you know, if my baseline of stress has moved up, if my baseline of anxious feelings has moved up in an everyday sort of way, people who deal with anxiety every day, their baseline has also moved up. It's ramped up to a higher value. So they're going to need even stronger skills to manage those heightened emotions that are inside. Um, with anxiety, there's, there's this sense always of what if, you know, that's just part and parcel of dealing with anxiety. It's very focused on negative future possibilities. And there's a sense of powerlessness. And that's all part of what anxiety is like. And whether you have like an anxiety disorder or whether you're just feeling a bit stressed, those are the sorts of things you're going to find happening a bit more. Just that what if question is kind of hovering in your mind and that sense of powerlessness. And, and with depression, again, you know, on the scale, there's people who have a diagnosed chronic depression. And then there's those who are just feeling a bit more down right now. And for both of those, you know, there's this idea that, that with depression, it's sort of focused on the present, the present difficulty. And in depression, our minds have a hard time seeing beyond that, seeing that there may be something good in the future or that there ever was anything good in the past. And so with depression, we're kind of locked into this negative picture in front of us, and it becomes like our whole life. 
And that's why depression is not being without happiness, but it's being without hope. Hope is really difficult to find then. So like for both of these examples, a person feels really dreadful and, and there's big emotions going on and, you know, and it can be really hard just to, to deal with the feelings that are going on inside. So that's one of the things is that unpredictability. Yeah. Another challenge I think is, is loneliness and loss. Those are huge right now with, with isolation, loneliness and loss are, are, are big part of it. My niece just graduated from college, quite excited, first person in her family to go the distance that she went. And uh, she had no graduation, you know, there was no walking across the stage, there was no recognition of the time spent. Um, we all know that loss is a big part of what's going on right now. And those big losses are maybe easy to see, but there's tons of little losses too that create a sense of loneliness inside us. Losses of, for me, I've been noticing I'm missing hugging people. We're very hospitable. People come in the door and I hug them. People leave and I hug them. People tell me something and I hug them. I'm missing reaching out. Um, so that loss brings a sense of, of loneliness to us. There's um, a really interesting thing I, I was uh, reading about lately, and, and it was that, that counselors often have this sort of this acronym. It's BLAST, B-L-A-S-T. And uh, they talk about um, that these five conditions are sort of a danger zone for us because we're not at our best when these five conditions are happening. B is bored, L is lonely, A is anxious, S is sad, and T is tired. I think about that and like, does that not describe our COVID isolation? <laughs> Probably most of us are moving through one of the conditions at least every given day. And yet these are danger zones for poor mental health. Yeah, no, that that's so good. And as you're talking about that, about the isolation and the and the losses that come from that, I, I couldn't help but think that, you know, as as people made in the image of God, um, we we are not made for isolation. Uh, God himself is not an isolated thing being he's three in one, right? So I, and you know, when man was made, it was not good for man to be alone, right? So I, I think that there is something really ingrained in with us. So this whole isolation thing, we lose a sense of who we actually were made to be. And that's for all of us, you know? So, um, and you know, in Alcatraz, like I remember going there a long time ago, that prison, you know, island in San Francisco and, and they would you know, the, one of the worst places to go was in the isolation cells where you'd be in complete darkness without anyone. You couldn't hear anyone, nothing. Uh, and it was a way to, you know, in a sense, uh, bring a, bear a greater consequence because we just know in human nature that isolation is not good. It's not good for us to be alone. So I totally resonate with that. I think that's a great point. You know, it was really interesting. There was a study done a number of years ago with a group of scientists who went out to the Antarctica and they were isolated for a, a long period of time. And so a group of scientists were studying the scientists <laughs> to see what the impact of this isolation had on them. And they found that loneliness, isolation, actually shrinks the hypothalamus in our brain. And, and the hypothalamus, it has a role in keeping our emotions level. Um, and so people who are isolated, who are lonely, are more at risk for anxiety and stress. Um, it's actually a brain thing. It's a physiological thing. Um, when we're feeling more anxious and more stressed during this time, uh, we need to realize, hmm, my body's doing what makes sense. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's normal in one sense that we're feeling like we are, but it's not how we were made to be. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's great. And I'm sure that 
uh, you know, extroverts, introverts. I know that we can't, you know, put people in those two groups perfectly because we all have different little uh, tweaks here and there. But even for people that are introverted, uh, it's still probably hard for them too um, uh, to to deal with everything that's going on. Um, let, let's jump in now. We, we've, we've talked a little bit about our, our faith in this, but let's just pour into that a little bit more now. This is a huge question, but, you know, I'd like to get your thoughts on it. How does the gospel, so the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for us, the love of God to bring us out of our pit of despair and sin and brokenness, bringing us to life and giving us a hope of the future. So how does that gospel, how does that impact our understanding of mental health? Um, how can the gospel um, help us in this time? Um, in what ways does it help us? And can we allow it to help us in this time? Yeah, let's just let's just talk about that a little bit. Oh, I could spend hours on this. <laughs> there is just so much in the gospel that um, tells us about real life. Um, it tells us the truth, you know. Um, the gospel, the first truth that it tells us that we just need to, to know um, when we're thinking about mental health is, is that we have a God who made us and knows us and loves us right here and right now, um, not after we get ourselves all in order or after we become useful in anyone else's eyes, but, but like right now, just the way we are with all our bumps and bruises. So that love is the same whether our mental health is, is struggling or whether we're doing great. God's love doesn't go up and down on that continuum. It's the same for us. I love Romans 5.8. There's an amazing verse that tells us that, that God proved his right now love for us by sending Jesus to rescue us while we were still sinners. God didn't say, I'll wait till you get cleaned up. I'll wait till you deserve this. I'll wait till your, you know, your behavior's in order. Um, he just said, I want to show you the extent of my sacrificial love right now, where you are right now. And I think often... Um, we can sort of put unrealistic expectations on each other to always be up, always be happy, always have everything good, you know, because um, maybe if we're, we're people who, who know we're loved by God, we should always feel great about that. And so why would we ever struggle with our mental health? But that's a really unrealistic expectation. And the good news is that no matter where we are at with, with dealing with everyday life, God is there. And he is loving us just the same. Um, you know, the world around us tells us that if life isn't all wonderful, something must be terribly wrong. You know, we shouldn't be uncomfortable or sad or we shouldn't have any difficulties. And I think sometimes we buy into that lie. And that lie isn't a lie that reflects the truth of humanity. <laughs> um, the Bible tells us a really different and, and truer message than that. Um, you know, the Bible tells us that we were made for life, but that we are going to suffer times of darkness and difficulty while we're on this earth. Everybody is. It's part of living in a broken world as a human being. Um, but the good news reminds us that we're not alone. No matter what kind of brokenness, we're not alone. One of my favorite verses, Psalm 34, verse 18, it says, God is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And the word save there in the original language that was written in, it, it, it means he, he, he makes whole those who are crushed in spirit. And you picture crushed, you know, a squished up piece of paper with all the wrinkles and lines on it. And sometimes we feel that way when we're not doing well. We feel like we're just like a piece of paper that should just be thrown in the trash. 
And yet God saves those who are crushed in spirit. He smooths the wrinkles and says, I love you. I love you just how you are right here, right now. Yeah, that's so good, Iona. And and I and I think too, is as you're mentioning that right before you brought up Psalm 34, I was thinking of Psalm 23 and how, you know, we will walk through the valley of the, you know, shadow of death. But I think what's really interesting about that is that it doesn't say that God's just gonna pick you up and you'll be totally fine and you'll be totally uh, you know, you won't have to suffer anymore. It says, but it does say that he is with you and his rod and staff will comfort you. And I just think that's really important that when we think about being brokenhearted and God saving us, I, I, I think it's a, a lie to say that, you know, let's say, you know, when you become a Christian, well, everything is going to be great for you. You're going to have everything you need, no more issues, no more suffering, no more nothing. We both know that that is just not true. But the beauty of the gospel, I think, and as you're just saying as well, this whole salvation of being crushed in spirit and that the saving come, the being whole, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be great now. It just means that now you actually have a hope and that he is with you always uh, to the end of the age. He's going to walk with you through um, uh, the suffering, no matter how long it takes, but we don't know. Everyone's life is different, but he is with you. And I think that's such a, a comforting and, and, and realistic truth that is that is true. Yeah, and, and realistic is the word, Isaac, isn't it? Because so often I think we do buy into that soul-sucking lie that tells us it's not supposed to be this way. Um, you know, life is supposed to be easy. Um, you're supposed to be happy all the time. And that's not just a Christian thing. That's just a it's a it's a it's a picture that is painted. But if we're living in a really broken and messy world, I don't know how that can happen. I mean, some difficulties in life, um, whether they have to do with physical health or mental health or just a hard situation, some of them are just not problems to be solved. They're places to journey through. Um, they're not always there's not always easy answers i think we'd like to have things fixed but in a broken world we may have to learn to live well in the brokenness with with our hand in god's <laughs> you know i think walking through these difficult places builds something in us that we just can't manufacture on our own something precious and good um, and something right and lasting for us and, and for the world around us too yeah, no, I think that's that's absolutely true. And it's, you know, I, I think about through the New Testament and I think about some of the people that suffered the most, obviously Jesus, but also other people that we could relate to more like Peter and Paul and and, and others as well. And and we see the, the, the amount of suffering and even anxiety. I mean, it says that Paul suffered anxiety for all the churches. Uh, Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, I mean, so anxious about what was to come that his capillaries burst and blood was coming out of his veins. Uh, outside of his skin. So, I mean, there was some true anxiety experienced by some of the like top people in our faith, right? And but that shaped them, and that and that grew them. So, and, and I think about the example that you gave of Jesus, and I think about him in the garden saying, "I don't like this. <laughs> I don't want this. This is not comfortable," you know. And yet, and yet, it's not about me, actually. <laughs> It's not what I want. It, it's what is and what God will do in this. And that's, that's the bottom line. There's this really wonderful story in John chapter 9 where um, Jesus and the disciples are walking along and they see this man that's born blind. And the disciples, of course, being human, just like me and you, the very first question is not, how can we help this guy? But the first question is, whose fault is this? <laughs> you know, we, we need to figure this out because if we know whose fault it is, then we'll know how to treat this guy. You know, if it's his own fault, you know, then we'll kind of 
you know, we'll correct him. If it's his parents' fault, we'll, you know, shake our finger, you know, that kind of thing. And, and Jesus said in the message, it says it this way. Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. Ask instead, what could God do with this? And I think about that when I'm walking um, with my friends who are mentally ill, when I'm walking with people who are struggling with their mental health, I recognize that God does something in me as I walk with people who are struggling. Um, I need to ask a different question, not, why are you doing this, God? Why are they struggling? I need to say instead, wow, what could God do in me if I, if I walked with this person through their loneliness, through their lamenting? through their sadness, through their struggling. What could God do in me? And I've seen from my own experience, he can do some pretty big things that I can't make happen on my own. Yeah, that, that's so good, Iona. I think that's a great perspective to have. And what things can God do with the suffering that we're experiencing, and specifically the mental health or mental illness? Um, I think that, that, that's awesome. Um, as we start to wrap up here, um, Iona, I have two questions. Uh, the first, and there's very application. I mean, I mean this is all being application, but uh, we'll, fo- we'll focus on this now practically. For those who are listening maybe right now that are struggling with mental health, and maybe they do have a, an actual mental illness, or they're just in a state of, you know, just not having a very good mental health at the moment, what are the next best things that they can do and should do, um, even you know, right now after they finish listening? Mm-hmm. Well, um, let's talk specifically maybe about uh, where we are at right now with the, the COVID isolation and all the rest of that. What do we need to do to actually flourish in our mental health despite the situation? Uh, three things. Uh, be aware of what your body needs. Um, God has made us not as just a soul, <laughs> but as a whole package deal. And so this, this body of ours actually impacts our, our soul, our heart, impacts our, our, our brain. You know, it, just as simple as this, when our heart is beating fast, it tells our brain that there's danger. And so our brain then, the amygdala in our brain, which is meant to protect us from danger, goes into fight, flight, or freeze when our heart is beating fast. And so being aware that we need to actually slow our body down so that our brain can relax. Uh, We can do that through breathing. It sounds so basic. Yes, everybody knows how to breathe, but we don't. We don't know how to breathe very well. (laughs) And if we spent, honestly, um, studies have shown that if you spend 15 minutes a day with just measured, slow, intentional breathing, it actually changes the chemistry of our brains. Uh, It changes our brains to be ones that are less likely to rush into that emotional panic and more able to keep a measured response to the things of life. So breathing, rhythms, you know, creating rhythms in your day, like get up and shower, people. (laughs) Wake up at the same time every day. Go to sleep at the same time every day. That's a COVID thing, but it's also an everyday thing. We need to have rhythms. We were created for rhythms. Uh, Think about the cycles that our body goes through. We were created for that. We need to actually get in step with the rhythms we need. Um, You know, protecting our sleep, um, even building a technology-free window for 30 to 60 minutes before you go to sleep, that makes a difference. Putting your phone out of the bedroom and believing that the world is not going to fall apart without you overnight if you have a completely restful sleep. And, and exercising, like if when you walk um, even, you don't have to run, you don't have to be a super athlete, just go for a walk and that releases endorphins, which is like a, a neurochemical that boosts your mental health. Um, it decreases our sensitivity to stress and 
pain, these endorphins. So just exercise will do that. So that's one thing. Be aware of your body and what it needs. Be aware of your mind and what it needs. What do our minds need right now? Um, I think our minds need truth. That's one of the things our minds need. And we have lots of information coming at us. But I think truth is a different thing than information. And being able to actually open up to truth about who God is and remind ourselves about those things during this time, to even have you know a list in your journal that you start where you say, who is God and who am I? And maybe if you're someone who is reading the Bible, just start adding to those, those lists as you read the Bible. Who is God? Who am I? And reminding ourselves of that truth in the middle of this. But also our minds need truth in the sense of we need to recognize maybe the story our brain is telling us through this because our minds are constantly kind of reaching to make predictions, guess the future. It's just how we're made kind of thing. It, it helps us know how to respond, how to plan our responses when we can predict the future. But right now, I think our minds may, for some people, be telling them stories like you're going to get horribly sick if you, you know, if you open the window to your house or the economy is going to collapse and you're going to have no hope of ever getting out from under it. We need to recognize that those are stories our minds are telling us. They're attempts at predictions, but they're not necessarily truth. So don't, don't believe everything your thoughts tell you. Um, know these stories might or might not come true, but there's also other outcomes that could also be more likely than those. So remind yourself that your feelings and these stories are just predictions. But the truth is that, that you need to live today. You just need to live today. Another thing our minds need is release. Uh, we have a lot of thoughts in our minds right now, swirling and swimming, and, and we hang on so tightly to them. We need to release those thoughts. And that might be talking to a friend over Zoom, or it might be journaling, it might be praying, but we need to release the thoughts that are going around in our minds. Our minds also need focus. You know, if it feels like you're kind of just free-ranging right now, um, set your mind on gratitude, for instance. You know, make a habit, like an intentional habit of noticing the things that are right in your life rather than dwelling on what's wrong or what's missing. Maybe you want to start a grief and gratitude list where you start to just say, yeah, I, I need to focus a little bit each day, not just focus on Netflix, but I need to focus on the things that are swirling around in my mind. So we have to be aware of our body and what it needs, be aware of our mind and what it needs, but we have to be aware of what our soul needs too. And during this time, but always, our souls need stillness. It's funny because right now there's so much not happening that we go, oh, stillness is being imposed on me and I don't like it. But that's not stillness. Absence of activity is not the same as stillness. So stillness is where we actually let the stress and the tension that collects in our body um, be set aside for a while. We step into a place with Jesus that is still and calm. That's the still waters of Psalm 23. And I love that at the beginning of Psalm 23, it says, he makes me lie down by still waters. I just picture Jesus with his hands on his hips going, sit down. <laughs> and that's just unplugged time. It's just not being connected to a screen. It's putting aside the worries. Maybe starting a worry jar that you stick all, you know, write your worries down, stick them in the jar, put the jar on the shelf and be still for a while. So our souls need that. They need nature. They need purpose. Our souls need purpose, which is reaching outside of ourselves, maybe caring for each other. We need to be loved. We need to love others, you know. Maybe this is a great time to actually look back on your life and think, are there some people I need to forgive 
I got some time on my hands. <laughs> Maybe this is a time to look into that and actually have purposefulness during this time. Yeah, no, that's so good. You bring up so many, so many points, and just to reflect on one of them, just at the end there, the the you know going and just being being alone, uh, the stillness aspect, and I, I couldn't help but think there's at least a I think a couple times where in the Gospels where Jesus himself gets up before the the rising of the sun. And he goes off by himself. And you could even say this is part of his nature as well, uh, you know, going out into nature. And he just goes by himself and he spends time in, in prayer uh, just just with the Father. And and I, I just think that's such a great... I mean, if Jesus had to do that, and I would say that he had to. He was human. He was a man, fully man, uh, fully human. Uh, and if he had to do that, then we we can't expect that we're fine to not do what he practiced, right? So I, I think that's such a... Such a great. I want as we, as we As we wrap up here, one more question would be this... What you've just said uh, was so good for those that are listening and who are experiencing that, and they're, they'll be able to take those and apply them to themselves. This next question, though, what if we know others who are experiencing uh, mental health right now, specifically with all this stuff going on, what can we do to uh, help them? I mean, I could just, you know, take everything that you just said for the previous question, write it down and just email it to them. Uh, that might work. Maybe not. I don't know. What would be, maybe that's, maybe that would work, but what are some things that we can do um, if we know someone else who is struggling? Family member, a friend, a husband, a wife, a girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, what can we do to help them? Hmm. Uh, yeah. And it's hard, you know, it's hard because so much of this is going to happen through screens and not for person to person, eyeball to eyeball, but there's some things we can do even across screens. We can listen. That's the first thing. I think we need to notice if someone's not doing well, if there's some changes that we're seeing um, or hearing in their voice, in their manner, in the way that they're processing things. And, and, and we need to say, hey, tell me about how you're feeling. Tell me about what's going on inside. Tell me about the losses that you're feeling. Tell me about how the loneliness is impacting you. Tell me about sadnesses that you're, you're experiencing right now and ask them and then listen, not for the reason of fixing that thing, but listen so that you step into it with them. I mean, if Jesus realized that, that the best way to love us was to step into human skin, <laughs> to be with us, then I think we're not too good. Just sit and listen to those around us, to step into it with them. That's called empathy. And it's basically figuring out what this feels like for them and saying, I hear you and I understand you. Another thing we can do is, is to remind them, remind them. That's a, a concept in, in the Old Testament. Uh, David often says, I remind myself. <laughs> and there's this, this point in, in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21, where Jeremiah says, I call this to mind. You know, like all of this horrible stuff is happening, but I call this to mind. So we can remind people of the truth about who they are and who God is. Tell them about the precious person that they are, despite the difficulty or apart from this difficulty, and celebrate that about them. Celebrate who they were made to be. Help them to see that. And then a third thing is just don't forget about them. <laughs> Don't forget about them. Um, my son, uh, when he was younger and he was experiencing anxiety, he had to always say no to invitations to birthday parties because he just couldn't do it. And one day he said to me, are they going to forget about me, mom? Are they going to forget? And I think that's a real question that people who are isolated and alone and starting to fall into a dark or a, uh, a sad place, they have that sense, are they going to forget about me? Because they don't have the energy to be reaching out. So we need to be the one to pick that up. We need to know that it's not all on our shoulders. 
but we need to create a network of care for them that won't forget them, that will step into where they are, stand next to them and say, you're not alone. God is here and I am here and we'll get through this together. Yeah, I know that that's so good. And I can't help but think, as you say that, that, uh, you know, many of us listening um, might be able to do this, you know, isolation with family members in the house where you're able to have communication. But there are so many, and I think of people in my church that don't have anyone living with them. And it, this is this is harder for them in a way that I would not be able to experience because I always have people to go home to and a, a toddler that's just I get to play with and all this stuff. Um, and so I think what you just said is especially a good reminder to those that do have people in the house to remember and to know that there are others that I mean, if this happened to me seven years ago when I was a bachelor living alone, it would have been a totally different experience for me. And there's many who are experiencing that right now, just like I would have been seven years ago. So I think we need to be especially, just like you said, very, uh, yeah, have those set reminders on your phone to like get, you know, contact people and everything like that. I think that's really, that's really, really good, Iona. Well, that, that wraps up our time. So I just want to thank you so much, Iona. If you're listening uh, right now, and uh, well, we've, obviously we hope this conversation was encouraging to you and even convicting and, and helpful for you. But at the beginning, she talked a little bit about how her and her husband run Life Teams. Um, it's a year-long program that you can take, different uh, young adults can take to help them prepare to, to love and to encourage and to speak the truth of Christ to teenagers and, and others. Um, she could explain it better than I can. But if you're interested more, go to lifeteams.ca. And you'll be able to uh, access much more information as well uh, about that. So anyways, let me just say once again, Iona, that it was great to have you on the show. And we hope to have you on again. Thank you. Dealing with the challenges of poor mental health is something that each of us will either struggle with ourselves or know someone who will. I hope that this conversation today has given you a few practical tools to equip you as you move forward in your own journey of mental health or in your interactions with friends and family who might be struggling. If you would like to find out more about Iona Snare or Life Teams, we'll have all the links for them on the episode page at indoubt.ca or you can go to lifeteams.ca. Thanks so much for joining us today and don't forget to check back with us for next week's episode where Isaac will be talking with Scott Sauls about the culture of us against them. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 